1: You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. and seven. Hurts lost it for Smith. It's a touchdown, Devontae Smith. And Nick Sirianni loves it. Well, that was one of the two big things Washington was looking for yesterday a Giants loss to Philadelphia. It wasn't just a loss. Philadelphia destroyed uh, the Giants 48 to 22. They also got later on yesterday afternoon a Seattle loss to Carolina. The Seahawks losing means in combination with the Giants loss, Washington without playing yesterday moved from eight to 6 in the NFC playoff. Race. Much more coming up. I'm going to break the whole thing down for you here in a few moments. I did want you to know that today's show is brought to you by MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.ag. Use my promo code KevinDC, and they will double your first deposit dollar for dollar, all the way up to a thousand bucks. You want to bet the Arizona game tonight? That's a smell test pick. Smell test, by the way, three and one. I gave out Carolina three and one so far. That's ten winning weeks in the last twelve weeks. Uh, and I've got Arizona pending uh, tonight, plus one and a half. I gave it out on Friday. You can get it at my bookie right now, plus two. But if you're looking for free money and a fair place to bet, go to mybookie.ag. Mybookie.ag. Use my promo code Kevin DC, and they'll take good care of you. Uh, Some news related to Washington. Carson Wentz has been activated from the injured reserve. Tyler Larson put on injured reserve. Tyler Larson complaining over the weekend about the Giants turf, that slit turf. Um, which the NFLPA and the NFL players have been really upset about. I think it's at the Meadowlands. I think it's at SoFi, Minnesota. I forget where else. Look for a big change in the offseason to those stadiums with that kind of turf because apparently it's been responsible for more non-contact injuries than any other surface uh, in the league. Um, But uh, Carson Wentz activated from injured reserve. Tyler Larson on it. So... The expectation, right, would be that. Carson Wentz would be active on Sunday night and would be the backup quarterback uh, to Taylor Heineke for what is right now the biggest game of the year for both Washington and New York and a very significant game in the NFC playoff uh, race. Uh, Clinton Portis is going to be on the show. We'll also talk some other sports as well from the weekend, including Maryland's loss to Tennessee. Uh, Also, we'll discuss John Wall's return, Alex Ovechkin scored. And I did want to mention here in the open. Um, Navy lost to Army uh on Saturday, uh 20 to 17 in double overtime. Boy, if you had the under, whew, it was like 33. Uh, it was 10-10 going into the overtimes. It ended up 20 to 17. Overtime is never a friend to the under uh, better. But Ken Niamatololo, um, that would be Coach Ken Niamatololo from Navy, fired Sunday, dismissed as head coach. Sixteen years, eleven bowl games. I don't know, good luck finding somebody better because he's been one hell of a coach at the Naval Academy. All right. Uh, good day for Washington yesterday, moving from 8 to 6. They are, by the way, at 7-5-1, a spot ahead of the Giants who are 7-5-1 by virtue of having a better division record um, than New York does. But the game between the two teams on Sunday night is a massive one in the NFC wildcard race. But before I get to that and its importance, Seattle is now on the outside looking in. They've dropped 3 of 4 now, the one win coming against the Rams. And I think really for Washington, one of the things you look at is not only are they in the sixth spot right now, but the two teams on its heels, the Giants and the Seahawks, are playing poorly. You know, the Giants, you know, they've won one game over the last six weeks. The Seahawks have lost three of four. Um, And the team you've got to really keep an eye on, and I've been mentioning them now for a few weeks, Detroit. All right, they've won 5 of their last 6, the only loss coming to Buffalo on Thanksgiving uh you know day, early in the day. They're 6 and 7 and they are surging towards a potential playoff berth. In fact, if I were to bet on the last two wild card teams in the NFC right now, I w- I would bet Washington and Detroit. And I would bet that the Giants and the Seahawks end up out of it. Or let me put it this way. I would bet Detroit and then I would bet the winner of the Washington Giant game. I think the winner of the Washington Giants game is going to be in, and I think Detroit's going to pass Seattle here soon. Now, their schedule, which looked easier after the Minnesota game, looks tough. I mean, they've got the Jets on the road this week. That's a big game for them. Then they've got the Panthers Uh, who beat Seattle yesterday and is very much alive. Carolina is for the NFC South title. More on that in a moment. They finish with the Bears and the Packers. Um, But Detroit's playing some awfully good football. They are very good offensively. And I've told you about Minnesota being bad on defense. My God, they are horrendous. They've got one of the worst pass defenses. Uh, Well, they have the worst statistical pass defense in the NFL and really one of the overall worst defenses in the league, period. Yeah, they get turnovers. They didn't get any yesterday. Kirk Cousins threw for 425 yards, two touchdowns, and no picks, and they still lost the game. Uh, I think Minnesota's the mark when we get to the NFC playoffs. That's the team that, you know, if you're in that six or seven spot, you want to face. You don't want to face the 49ers if they're the three seed. Uh, you want to face Minnesota, or maybe Minnesota is the three seed because Minnesota could fall to the three seed and the 49ers could pass them between now and the end of the season. But Minnesota, while they do have Cousins, Cook, Jefferson, Thielen, their defense is just so god-awful. So I, I just think they're the team that a Detroit, a Washington – um, Hell, the Giants or the Seahawks could go and beat. And let me just tell you in the NFC playoff picture, You know, most of you know the top five, right? Philly, Minnesota, San Francisco, right now Tampa in the NFC South. And then the NFC East runner-up, Dallas or Philadelphia, will be the five seed. And right now it looks like Dallas, although Dallas still has a chance to win the division. If they ran the table, including a win over Philadelphia on Christmas Eve, and Philadelphia dropped one other game, Dallas would win the division by virtue of a division record that would be better and actually, Washington's win over Philadelphia would be the determinant there. Um, but I think Philadelphia will win the division and be the one seed, and I think Dallas will be the five seed. And then you've got Washington, the Giants, the Seahawks, the Lions, as I mentioned. And with the Giants in Seattle losing yesterday, don't count out Green Bay. If Green Bay were to run the table to finish 9-8, and eight, Aaron Rodgers and the Packers might find themselves as the seven seed and in. Yeah, the Packers are not dead. Yesterday was a good day for Green Bay as well. Um all right. Couple of other things. The NFC South has gotten to be just an absolute shit show, okay? You've got right now uh, the the Buccaneers coming off that 35 to 7 route yesterday at San Francisco at 6 and 7 and in first place. They are a game ahead of the Panthers and the Falcons. But it's the Panthers who have won two in a row, three of the last four, and already own a head-to-head win over Tampa Bay. Carolina, the Panthers, who were 1-5, who were 2-7, and seven. they fired their coach, they traded McCaffrey, they cut Mayfield. They are now, right now, A co-favorite to win the division in the NFC South, they controlled her own destiny. If they can beat the Steelers, the Lions at home, those are their next two. The Bucks on the road and the Saints on the road, they're in. Hell, they may not have to win all four of them as long as one of the three that they win is against Tampa. Amazing. I'll tell you what: of all the NFC South teams. The team you wouldn't want to visit right now, and I know one team's got Tom Brady and the other has Sam Darnold. I understand that. But what a great job Steve Wilkes is doing. And the Panthers' defense, like Washington's defense, nasty. And they can run the football. Sam Darnold right now basically being asked to do in many ways what Taylor Heineke's being asked to do in Washington and that is you know not lose the game they're a defensive first team they run the ball 46 runs to 24 throws yesterday in Seattle Darnold was 14 of 24 for 120 yards they rushed for 223 in the game uh it's a very similar formula for the Panthers, who are right now in the NFC South, the team that's playing the best. Uh, as, a, as an aside, if Tampa Bay last Monday night had not come from behind from 16-3 down to the Saints in the fourth quarter to win that game, if that hadn't happened and the Saints had held on, all four teams in the NFC South right now would be 5-8. and eight uh Atlanta's not out of it in the NFC South, but Carolina looks like the team right now that you know if they were to get in and have a home game as a division winner, um, their defense is really good. I mean, they're kind of like Washington, but they would have a home game in the first round uh, against the Cowboys more likely than not. Um, so yeah, the NFC, Philly, Minnesota, let's call it Carolina. And the 49ers with Dallas, the winner of the Washington Giant game, and I think Detroit as the playoff teams. And the Washington Giant game Sunday night is crucial. I do think Washington's the better team, but not by a lot. No matter what you saw from the Giants yesterday, remember this. The Eagles are in a different class. I know Washington beat them, and they needed everything to go right. Uh, They did beat them, and the Giants couldn't come close. Um, But Washington and New York are at a different level, much different level than Philadelphia. And what Philadelphia did to the Giants yesterday in the Meadowlands, Washington had 13 points with three minutes to go in that game last week. I think the Giants can win Sunday night at FedEx Field. Don't get me wrong. But I do think Washington's a slightly better football team. And if they, you know, can win a game against a team that's slightly worse, they really are in great position. If they win the game Sunday night, or let me just rephrase, the winner of the game Sunday night I think only needs to win one more game after that to get in. I think 9-7-1 and one would do it because that would require Seattle uh, to win 10 and the Giants to win 10 to, uh, to, uh, to pass Washington. And I just don't see that happening. Giant, the Giants would have to run the table. Seattle would have to win three of its final four to get to 10. Um, so I, I think the, a win by Washington Sunday night or a win by the Giants means – that they only would need one more win to clinch a playoff berth. Uh, and their three games would be against San Francisco. And I think they'll be a sizable dog, you know, a solid five, six, seven point underdog, even against Brock Purdy um, on Christmas Eve. They'll be a slight favorite against Cleveland, I would think. Cleveland's pretty good defensively. Miles Garrett had a big game against Cincinnati yesterday. Uh, and then Dallas, it all depends on what Dallas is playing for. But beat the Giants and you only need one more out of the final three and you will be in the NFC's postseason this year. Same goes for the Giants. You know, win in uh, win Sunday night in Landover and you only need one more. And they do have the Colts at home on January 1st. And that would get them to 9-7-1. and Sure, if Washington loses, could they win out and be 10-6-1 and hope the Giants uh, only win one more? Yeah, but that's the harder way to go. And I think, you know, asking them to win out if they lose Sunday night is a hard ask because I don't see them beating the 49ers. I think that's the one team um, right now, other than Philadelphia, and I know they beat Philadelphia, that they would really struggle with. And, and we'll see it on Christmas Eve. Uh, so there you go. That's my guess in the NFC right now. Um, again, amazing that Carolina. Detroit and Washington. Think about that. If all three of those teams made the NFC playoffs, Carolina was one and five, Detroit was one and six, and Washington was one and four. The NFL changes, as I've been saying for years, week to week. It just is an ever changing dynamic thing. It's really hard to figure out unless you've got the dominant quarterback. And in the NFC this year, there really isn't a team with the dominant quarterback unless you think Hurts is that guy. I do think he has emerged as that guy. I think he's now probably the frontrunner for the MVP. And, you know, Minnesota has the firepower with Cousins and company. Um, it's just that their defense is so god-awful. So I think they're gettable because I think you could run the ball against Minnesota and you could score and you could keep the ball out of Kirk's hands uh, with Jefferson, Thielen, Cook, etc. AFC, real quickly... Uh, Buffalo has now a two-game lead over Miami after the Dolphins lost to the Chargers and the Bills beat the Jets. wasn't pretty by the Bills. By the way, they play Saturday night, and major snow is in the forecast once again in Buffalo. But it's not a crippling, you know, have-to-move-the-game snow. But Saturday night, Miami-Buffalo is going to be a cold-weather snow game. In fact, a lot of games here over the next couple of weeks in the NFL are going to be cold, bad-weather games. It looks like much of the country is going to be cold and stormy. Right now, Washington Giants Sunday night, just cold for the time being. We'll see if that forecast changes. But I think at the very least, you know, temperatures probably in the upper 20s, low 30s. Um, Buffalo, though, with a two-game lead over Miami. Remember, they lost to the Dolphins early on, but two, a bad night for him last night. What was Mike McDaniel doing against the worst rush team uh, defense in the league? He was throwing the football against the Chargers, and the Chargers won the game, and they're back in the mix. Kansas City beat Denver despite three picks by Mahomes. Uh, Kansas City's defense is lousy. They gave up 28 to the Broncos, most points, of the year for Denver. How about Jacksonville in the AFC South? They crush Tennessee. They're two games behind the Titans with four to go, and they play Tennessee one more time. Can you imagine if Jacksonville, who now is playing pretty good football, they've won three out of their last five, the two losses to the Chiefs and to the Red Hot Lions. Now they have the Cowboys this week, but the Titans play the Cowboys still too. Can you imagine if the final week of the season, Jacksonville was hosting Tennessee for a chance to win the AFC South? Jacksonville, Carolina, Detroit, Washington... If all four of those teams ended up in the playoffs, Baltimore got the win. They were down to their third-string quarterback, Anthony Brown. Uh, uh, Huntley had a, a concussion, but they beat Pittsburgh 16 to 14. It seems like every Pittsburgh-Baltimore game is 16 to 14, or 16 to 13, or 17 to 14. Um, Baltimore. Uh, And Cincinnati tied atop the AFC North. They finish against each other end of the year in Cincinnati. Um, And then, yeah, so the AFC playoffs, you know, Buffalo, Kansas City, still fighting it out for the one seed, but don't count Cincinnati out. You know, they, they're, they're very much in it, and Baltimore's technically in it. I, Baltimore's an interesting case. they got to get Lamar back, that's for sure. And then the AFC South is up for grabs. In terms of the wild card um, situation in the AFC, you know, the AFC North runner-up is probably going to be the five seed. The AFC East runner-up, which looks like Miami, um, probably snags a spot. And then it's the Chargers, the Jets – And I guess the Patriots are still alive, um, but it'll probably be the Chargers and the Jets for the last spot. And if the Chargers get in, then you've got an AFC with Mahomes, Josh Allen, if Jackson is back, Joe Burrow, and Justin Herbert if he makes the playoffs. A lot different situation at quarterback in the AFC, potentially in the postseason, than in the NFC uh plenty of washington new york preview all week long on this podcast clinton portis will join us next right after these words from a few of our sponsors
0: we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform
1: This segment of the show with Clinton Portis is brought to you by Window Nation. Window Nation is offering right now five years with no interest, right? 60 months of no interest payments on your brand new windows. Plus, Buy two, get two free with no limit. That means you're paying half price. If you've been thinking about new windows, I urge you to give WindowNation the first shot. If your windows are 10 years of age or older, if they're cracked, if they're hard to open or hard to lock when you close them, you need new windows. You're paying too much in energy bills. You're losing too much energy in your home. And by the way, your home doesn't look as good. Call them at 866-90NATION. Go to WindowNation.com, Mention my name. They'll give you a free estimate so there's nothing to risk window nation giving you 0% interest for 5 full years on new windows no interest payments for 60 months and also paying half price for the windows cuz you're going to get two free with every two you purchase 86690nation or windownation.com Clinton Portis is with us. Uh, I do want to talk about Washington with you in the big game they've got coming up Sunday against the Giants. But I want to start by talking a little bit about the league, the NFC in particular. Give me your top three teams right now in the NFC, one to three.
2: Uh, in the NFC, the Eagles are definitely number one. I think if if Purdy can keep up the production that he had last night, I would put San Fran. Number two, and then I would put the Cowboys number three because uh, the Cowboys might have one of the most explosive offenses when they're on, and that defense um, at any day could, you know, shut you down. So I would go to Eagles, 49ers, Cowboys.
1: You've got Dallas third uh, behind. The Eagles and 49ers and that's where I think I would have them uh, as well I mean the 49ers with Purdy is still a bit of a question mark um, but so far so good and the rest of the team uh, is so good uh, but on Dallas I think there are a lot of people that think Dallas is capable of making a big run, and yet they nearly lost to the worst team in football yesterday in Houston. They ended up blowing out Indianapolis last week, Clinton, but the lead was two points going into the fourth quarter. Thanksgiving Day, they were behind at halftime against the Giants. Just give me your thoughts on where you think Dallas is right now.
2: I think what makes it hard for them is the fact that um, they're loyal to Zeke and Pollard has simply been the better back uh, this season. Which, if you put Pollard in that offense, it opens up. When you put Zeke in that offense, it kind of is stagnant, you know. So I think if they just would make the bold move of going with Pollard as their guy and letting Zeke come in and spell, it's a total, di- it's a total different team. And I, I still feel like they need another receiver, Lamb. Um, they need another receiver. So I don't know if it's OBJ or whomever can step up and, and make a play. I just don't have the confidence in their skill positions, which they have talented skill positions, that they're going to go all the way. Whereas I could see the Eagles gelling together because we've seen that all year, all season long. Uh, they didn't have these expectations and they, they've surpassed everyone's expectations. So um, I can kind of see the pressure where people feel like the Eagles are, are under pressure. They've been living up to the pressure all
1: year. What about Dak? Are time, you are you seeing you it know, with Dak? I mean, I, Dak had two picks yesterday. It could have been four or five.
2: I think, I, I honestly think that team knows the potential and feel like they're always in the game. Having Dak, they know like at any moment we can drive down the field, we can go ninety-eight yards, and at any moment we can have a a pick six, you know. But the team understands who Dak is, and that's the beauty of it. Once he once he locks in, it's tough.
1: Hurts, Hurts or Prescott? You get one quarterback in the upcoming post-suit season. Hurts or Prescott?
2: I'll take Hurts. Hurts. Hurts is. He in his bag right now. He he's in his zone. I think all the all the disrespect, uh, winning championships at Alabama, being replaced, going to Oklahoma, still you know having that pressure. I think hurts just in his own. He's so humble, and, and his guys play for him. You know, uh, for all before the season, they were thinking about uh, moving on from him, and now all of a sudden, it's like. You got to be thinking about new contract with him. Uh,
1: I think that was an easy one. I would take Hurts, and I wouldn't even think twice about it. Nor did you. Her, um, Prescott or Cousins? Right now in the NFC playoffs.
2: Yeah, I would say Cousins. I just think that entire um, the edge that comes with having Justin Jefferson. Uh, he's playing at a level life out. You know, it's hard uh, for the catches that he making. I don't think that have C. B. Lamb and Justin Jefferson are not the same, you know. And then when you look at the running back position, I think Cook gives you another dynamic. Uh, Cook is Pollard and Zeke, you know, combined. So I would give an edge to um, Kirk. We know what he's capable of. We've seen the first hand. As long as you protect him.
1: Yeah, I I think that's actually, for me, I think that's actually an easy one, too. I would take Cousins as well. Um, You know, They both have the same issue right now. They have offensive lines that are not great. Minnesota's is banged up. They're missing Darisaw, their left tackle. The big difference between those two teams is Minnesota's defense is terrible, Uh, and I think that's going to do them in in the postseason. I think they've got the worst defense of any of the teams that will be in the postseason in the NFC. Now – you know, I wanted to actually, as you were talking about Dalvin Cook, you know, in some ways, he he's kind of like you. Do you I, I'm like I'm thinking as you were talking about Dalvin Cook, I was thinking about stylistically, there are there are similarities between you and Dalvin Cook. Do you agree with me or not? No, in, in your running styles.
2: I would. I, I think Cook could be. And every down back, I think the upbringing, you know, the background, uh, just the play, the determination that he plays with. You know, it, to me, it, it seems like Minnesota take Cook out of the game instead of allowing the defense to stop him. You know, their game plan just might not include him or every game he should have 20 touches or more and then... You don't get that every game in a consistent basis, but you never hear him complaining about it. He just goes out and plays. And then when he get in this, when he get in, the, in, in his zone, he's tough to stop. So he's capable of going the distance at any moment. Um, I just think he's a complete back, all around back.
1: Yeah, I just think like stylistically, he runs with the same kind of vision that you ran with. You know, they run they run a lot of zone stuff as you did in Denver um, with with Mike. Um, and, uh, you know, there's that acceleration and there's that speed. Um, sometimes I think he gets tripped up a little bit too easily, and I think you are more physical as a runner, uh, but I think that there are a lot of similarities there. All right, um, so Philly, San Francisco, Dallas, one, two, three. Where does Washington, for you, fit in in the NFC picture?
2: Um, I would say four or five. Just because they lost to the Vikings, you can't put them ahead of the Vikings. But I'll put them ahead of Tampa and um, the other teams. And and they're playing really good football at this point. Um, Heineken, which we always discuss, gives me an energy that resonates through the team. You know, he elevates everyone's style of play. And we always say this, for... You know, he gives you a half of football. He gives you a bad half, and then he do some stuff that you'd be like,
0: man, Heineke
2: should have been the starter all year long. And <laughs> then he, didn't go, out and, you know, he didn't go out and make a play. But his teammates always respond. Mm-hmm. And, and that has to be a credit to who Heineke is as a person. Because we had this conversation early on, and I said there's no way you don't get McClure in the ball. And I just thought that was impossible. And now you look at getting your star player the ball, letting your star player be your star player, where you're not trying to make it your quarterback if someone is not. And look how everyone is playing. All the role players understand their role. And they get in where they fit in. And you go out and you allow your star player to carry the team. It's different when you're asking someone every other week to carry the team then no one knows who my alpha male is. No one knows who my big dog is. And that big dog has been Terry McLaurin since he's been here. So when you establish that identity, now your defense can go out and play with, oh, we know Terry's going to do his thing. Okay, now Gibson come in and Robinson come in and everybody else contribute where they can. But we know our big dog going to do his thing. So I think that's the mindset or the attitude that the defense carries onto the field. And then everybody on defense, you need an identity on on defense. Your big dog doing his thing now. Jonathan Allen has been consistent. This is the most consistent he's been. We always talk about, well, you got this guy, you got this guy. Now Allen has stepped to the forefront in sweat and everyone else, pain comes in and do their thing. But the focus is the identity of the defense is Allen. The identity of the, the offense is McLaurin.
1: One of my questions to you is going to be, what would you um, give the most credit uh, to, to, to what part of the team or what person would you give the most credit for their turnaround, for their 6-1-1 one one run after they were 1-4? And, and it sounds to me like you're going to say Taylor Heineke. Is that the answer for you?
2: Um, but I, I, it's hard to say Heineke because McLaurin is the culprit. You know, McLaurin is is the culprit. The guy that's, that's making the plays. Heineke is just getting him the ball. So I think it's been a a collective effort offensively and defensively. And then defensively, you got to get Jack Del Rio some credit because we didn't we didn't see this defense or these guys on this defense panning out the way that they've panned out. You know, making making plays, the, the secondary making plays, you're moving on from uh, your off-season acquisition. I think that stabilized so much to just go on and separate instead of saying, oh, well, we paid this guy so much money, we're going to keep him. You make the move with Pittsburgh to remove that guy and allow these guys the opportunity to play that you know can play. And another thing that I think happened in that locker room is Guys understand it's competition. No one is given a job. The best players are playing. It's not one of those well this is my guy and this coach like this guy. And I think with Wentz you had that. You know, where guys are pulling for Heineken, but Wentz is at the helm. And I think it's just one of those locker rooms at this point. Hey, you can look on offense and defense and you know who your your alpha male is. Everyone is getting the opportunity, even when you look at Robinson and um, when you look at uh, the running back, Robinson and Gibson. Look how Gibson has played since Robinson became the start.
1: I'm going to share something with everybody with Clinton um, because I was planning on doing this anyway, um, but this is the right time to share it. Um, And let me just preface this by saying it's not necessarily true that I would agree with this. Most of you know, I've said here recently, that I would stick with Heineke the rest of the way. I think what Clinton described is, number one, the guys in the locker room believe in him. Number two, there's some mobility there. And number three, I don't really uh, think that the solution, Wentz, is like an obvious upgrade at this point. But I'm going to tell all of you right now, including Clinton, that if they didn't score on that drive in the fourth quarter to tie that game against the Giants, if he didn't have one of those Heineke plays, that fourth down and four, I don't think he'd be starting this coming Sunday night against the Giants. I think Wentz with the bye week would have been given the job. Um, I I think that there is some frustration level in the uh, level of of scoring and offense that they are generating. But they are 5-1-1 with him as a starter. Uh, and, you know, whether you attribute it directly to him or not, there's a belief in him. And the truth is, he's come through big time at the end of games. Look at the Indianapolis game. Look at the game last week against the Giants. But I do uh, believe that if they didn't come back to tie the Giants, I think Wentz would be the starting quarterback against um, the Giants this coming Sunday night. So I'll ask you. Um, after mentioning that. Do you think he starts every single game the rest of the way? They've got four games left. You know, if you uh, if you had to bet on it, would you bet on him starting all four games?
2: If a quarterback goes 5-1-1 and and got my team playing good football, you actually got energy. Look at the impact. You have energy in the stadium. You calm the negativity down, and I'm gonna go and create another story for the world when my team is playing good, clean
1: football. Well, you wouldn't have been. We're football. not talking. We're not talking about you know. We're not talking about if you know off of a win. All right. What I mentioned was if they had lost the game. So at that point, they would. He would have been four, two, and one as a starter and they would have lost to the Giants with a bye week coming up. I'm asking the rest of the way, like, is there any, any, you know, scenario that you see where he would get benched and Wentz would be in there? It sounds like your answer is no.
2: I wouldn't. I I wouldn't bench him for the simple fact you got, why why create an issue within your locker room in the last four weeks? Your team has focused. Your team has locked in and focused at this point. why go and change that in the last month of football? Why go make guys get adjusted to a new quarterback, to a new style of play, to a new offensive play calling? Why? You already know what Heineken is going to give you. He's going to give you that edge of the seat, sporadic excitement. It's either going to win you the game or lose you the game. But you're going to be there. So that's the guy that I follow.
1: Uh, I'm with you. I wouldn't do it. uh, Now, if he has one of those games – which he's been close to having, where he throws three picks and they get beat, I still wouldn't bench him. You know, I'd still start him against the 49ers on Christmas Eve. Like, I could see a scenario where they lose the next two games, and a lot of those balls that, you know, haven't been intercepted or some of the fumbles that haven't been recovered are, and they end up losing. I could see him getting benched, but I wouldn't play Wentz against the 49ers my bet would be that Heineke starts all four of those games because I don't think he'll play so badly. I think there's a bad game coming up against somebody. It might be the 49ers. But I think they'll win at least one of the next two, and he'll start the final two. And at the end of the season, they'll probably move on from Wentz. But I think they believe Clinton – that they have a better chance of being more dynamic and more explosive on offense with Wentz and that he knows the offense better than he knew it earlier in the season and that the defense is better than it was earlier in the season and they've got Brian Robinson Jr. in the lineup where they didn't have Brian Robinson Jr. earlier in the season. And I think they believe that they'd, be, that they, they'd have a chance to be a better playoff team when they got there on offense with Wentz, but I don't think they're going to make the move unless Heineke makes it easier for them to make the move. So,
2: yeah, I, th- I think. Go ahead. I, I-, I think. I-, I think the fact that they're where they are, leave it. Because this guy gets his teammate to respond. And no matter. It, the same way you talked it up with, with Jackson. Hey, you paid Heineke okay, move on. You know? You, you you didn't have to bring in Went. I don't think you needed to bring in Wentz. Um but you did. So right now, the guy at the helm has has his teammates responded. So unless he just went out, and in order for him to throw three picks in the game, that means you're behind and he's in gunslinging mode. Go out and continue with the same offense that you've been going. It's not. It's been a, a 50-50, a 60-40. It's not one of those 75-25 situations that we see throughout the league. Go out and play balanced football. Allow your guys, Robinson, Gibson, your playmaker, to make plays on first and second down. Give him the reins on third down where he's not in third and 15, third and 18, third and long.
0: Yep. As
2: long as you can do that. Heineke is your guy. If you get behind the sticks or other guys' penalties or anything else, Heineke can't control it. The only thing, if you get to third and 20 and Heineke throw an interception, is that Heineke's fault or yours?
1: Um, Yeah, I mean, Cooley said last week, you know, and I think it's kind of obvious that to everybody, it's a small margin for error. Offense. They can't afford a Cole Turner holding penalty. They can't afford a false start. Now, ironically, they were in third and long a lot against the Giants last week, and they ended up in a tie game. Um, uh, But that could speak to the Giants as much as it speaks to Washington. I don't think that's a situation they want to be in against San Francisco. I don't think that's a situation they're going to be want to be in against uh, the Cowboys in the season finale if Dallas is playing for something. But no, I'm with you. I look. I've been of the mindset, Clinton, that I think this is a conversation that's reasonable to have. But right now, even though I'm not the biggest Heineke fan in terms of the future, I think right now he's what they should be uh, continuing to do. And I think as long as Scott Turner calls the game that he's been calling, run first, good formula of trying to stay in good down distance, don't beat yourself, let the defense you know, carry you and lead you as it has – you got a chance to win these games. They've been in every single game, including the game they tied and the game they lost. And I think you know the rest of the way. If they play this way, they will have a chance to win these four games, maybe with the exception uh, exception of the forty nine er game. And they'll have a chance to lose all of them. But all they probably need is Sunday night and one more to make the postseason. Do you think they're going to make the playoffs?
2: Yeah, I think they. I think they make the playoffs.
1: Yep. Um, how much credit? do you give Ron Rivera for the turnaround?
2: I think you have to give him uh, – he, he's a major part in this. Just from some of the decisions that he's made, even when you look at the situation of Chase Young not touching the field. You know, most 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 coaches would, hey, this is my star guy, and I'm getting a lot of pressure. Let me put him in. And he's not ready. I don't think at at no point has Rivera felt like, I have to put Chase Young on the field or this is my job, you know? And when you have a coach who who has that mindset, who's not worried, and he's going to stick by his decisions, I think the team, and and that's what a lot of people don't understand about sports. I think the team understands, hey, this man is not forcing Chase Young on the field. This man is not forcing guys to come back early from injury that we know – we need so bad, but they're not ready to perform, right. and he's forcing them to the feel. You know, I, I think just that alone gives you a different understanding in the locker room amongst your teammates than anything else. When you see guys who can actually go and get healthy, you don't feel like, man, I'm being pressured to get back out here, and I got to get here and make, make a play and help my team. He's moving accordingly to his agenda. Hey, if this guy is ready, he's going to be available. If he's not, it's no pressure. We're gonna let the next man up come in and make plays for us, and that's that's kind of the the attitude the team has adapted to.
1: Who's the better player, John Allen John Allen or Deron Payne?
2: Uh, that's a good one, but I think John Allen. You know that's 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 a that's a good one, um, and I think the run is act to free up John Allen as well. So. Um, I just think the upside uh, is is John, but it's 1A and 1B. It's it's not a, a big difference. I just think the role is, hey, you know what? Help Allen get free so he can make this play compared to telling Allen, help Payne get free so he can make this play.
1: All right, we started with kind of a conversation about the NFC, and we got to the, got to the skins, um, which I wanted to do anyway. But I want to come back to, like, the rest of the league here for a moment because I talked about this in the open. You know the Panthers right now, because you live down there, the Panthers right now control their own destiny. If they win out, they're going to win the NFC South. I'm just curious if you've watched them recently and what you think about them because I think they look really good on defense.
2: I have. You know what? That's another coach that I think made a decision that changed his locker room. And that was moving on from McCaffrey. Nobody wants to pull that. Like, nobody wants to pull that. Say, you know what, man, we're going to trade McCaffrey and we're going to be better after he's gone. That's hard to say. But when you got guys responding, if you look at the way their running backs have responded and the way They've moved the ball. They, they've they tried to play mistake-free offensively, but you're doing it through your running game. You're not putting pressure on, on Darnold to come out and throw 50 passes a game. You're actually saying, hey, you know what? We're going to run the ball. We got these two running backs, and we're going to play through them. And when I need Darnold, he's allowed to make a play. But we have a great defense that we believe in that as long as we don't give up points offensively, we feel like we're in every game. You saw that in Seattle. Although, I think Seattle's defense is the worst in the NFL. It's you terrible. You're talking about the Vikings. The Vikings are really bad. bad.
1: Vikings have the worst yeah, pass they, defense.
2: And Seattle got the worst run defense.
1: Yeah. It's bad.
2: So, you know, I, I think it's just one of those situations especially for him getting another opportunity and quieting The naysayers, you know, the the hatred, the this would have been a good move for them before he went to Arizona. But you go out, you attempt something that doesn't work, and now he comes back and he's your superhero. Now at the end of the season, what do you do? Because you had this opportunity with these same guys with Matt Rule as your
1: head coach. So Steve, I, I Steve, will, Steve wilkes fun. Steve Wilkes is earning if they win that division you know you know what's interesting Clinton is the three teams that are surging in the NFC take Philadelphia and San Francisco and Dallas out of the equation the three teams that no one really will want to play in the postseason if you got to play in that first weekend Washington, Carolina, Detroit if they make it. Those 3 teams, Detroit's got a chance to make it, Carolina's got a chance to make it, Washington's got a really good chance to make it. So Seattle and and the Giants may not be there. I mean, I'm not discounting the Giants' chances. I think they could they could definitely win on Sunday night. I'm not saying that they won't. Um, but you get to the NFC postseason and it would be hysterical if Washington, Carolina, and Detroit were the most dangerous teams, other than Philly and San Francisco, because Washington was one and four, Detroit was one and six, and Carolina fired their head coach, and they were one and five as well. I think they they were two and seven at one point. It's the NFL, man. You can never ever say never. I mean the the the, the, the it, it changes so much.
2: This is the beauty of all of those situations. The guys in the locker room bought in after big moves they made. Outside of Detroit, because that was coming all, you know, before the season started, you knew Detroit was going to do something special where that coach was believing and had those guys' hyped. So outside of Detroit, you look at Carolina, you look at Washington. They made major mid-season moves. To Washington did it, removing Jackson, where I think the guys really understood this not just about money. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And then Carolina did it, moving McCaffrey. Although guys would love to be teammates with McCaffrey, I think that made them a better team because now you're not forcing McCaffrey to come out and be your star.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um... Well, I mean, I, I, I think that uh, I think the, the the bit you know part of I think the defense here started to play great. I think part of that was Jackson. I think, I think you're right. I think you're right. Part of it was Jackson, and then you know, in many ways, they probably benefited from Wentz getting hurt and Heineke coming in. I don't think there's any doubt about that. I mean, that's part of it. I still think the defense overall is the number one reason they're seven five and one and on the verge of making the postseason. We didn't talk about the AFC. Um, it's, I mean, Buffalo hasn't been overly impressive. You know, they were, it was nothing, nothing late in the first half against the Jets. Uh, the Chiefs gave up the most points Denver scored all year long. Mahomes threw three picks against that Denver defense. Uh, Cincinnati's rolling. Baltimore hopefully gets Lamar Jackson back. What do you make of the AFC? I
2: think the Bengals, again, um... I think they kind of iron out uh, their their offensive line problems. They figured some things out, and then they're getting healthy. The Bengals are doing this without. Uh, I mean, they didn't have Jamar Chase. Now T Higgins is down. I think Boyd has been hurt, um, and you figured it out. Now you're you're in position to make a run these these final you know four games. So the Bills I just don't think the Bills have a running game and teams are kinda you know, when it comes to Josh Allen and, and Diggs, which Diggs is man, Diggs is a dog. But you're you're getting the understanding of let's let's not allow Diggs to go out and beat us to take away his first option and make him go somewhere else, and we're going to take our chances. And then defensively, they've been killed by the injury balls, losing Vaughn. I mean, they all season long, they've been hit by the injury balls uh, on the defensive side. So the Chiefs refuse to run the ball. They're not even interested. They might as well just go out and play five wide. They're not interested in running the ball, don't care about it. They're going to gunsling, and that defense is bad. The Ravens, it's the same. The Ravens been up. That defense is giving up a lot of points, and that, that's really not a, a Ravens D. They went out and got Roquan, and, you know, he had a pick yesterday, uh, came up yep. big in some, in some moments. But that defense is just not the, the defense that you've uh, been used to. The tie, uh it, it comes down to uh, stopping the running back. You know, the quarterback hasn't given you anything all season. The Dolphins, we saw uh, kind of struggle against the Chargers. You know, the Chargers is one of those outside teams where I think they're going to get healthy. They haven't had their receivers right. the entire year to possibly uh, get their receivers back and and, and and make it exciting. But I think it comes down to the Bengals, uh, Dolphins, and Chargers in that division.
1: The ba- Wait, the, the Bengals, Dolphins, and Chargers. What do you mean? You think those are the three teams that what
2: to watch in the AFC? Because all three of those teams are getting healthy. Yeah, compared to so the you didn't mention Buffalo,
1: running. or so you don't think Buffalo and Kansas City end up being in the AFC Championship game? No, I don't. By the way, you I, know, think
2: the, I think the Bengals. I think the Bengals represent the AFC in the Super Bowl.
1: Right. By the way, you know, the, um, the Chargers last night got Mike Williams back, and sometimes you forget how good he can be. I mean, because that combination of Allen and Williams is one of the best yeah. combinations in the league, especially with Eckler in the backfield. Herbert is the quarterback. I mean, if they are healthy, I, the, char, the biggest – like last night, the Chargers are the worst run-stopping team in the NFL, and the Dolphins didn't run it. They, they had Tua back there throwing it around the park. And you got Mostert back there? That they was were stupid.
2: After the, and they were after Tua the entire game. It was just one of those game plans. You come out and you assume you're going to do it this way, and you never make that adjustment. And, I, and that's tough uh, because I really like the Dolphins coach. But I think I think they recover from that. Tua just, you know, it, 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 it wasn't a really good game plan. It was like they were trying to force the ball to Tyreek, and the Chargers were on it. So, uh, you should have ran the ball. You should have established the run. Uh, it turned out to be, you know, a decent game, but I, I still think the Dolphins got something in the tank.
1: Did you know Mike McDaniel when you were here? No. Okay. You you, you never – because he was – were you gone? Well, you were here when Mike got here, and he, he came in with Mike, but you didn't know him.
2: No, I, I didn't know him. I was gone when he came.
1: Okay. Um. Alright, one last one in case I don't talk to you. Uh, Michigan, TCU, Georgia, Ohio State. Who you got?
2: I got Georgia. I definitely got Georgia. Uh, I like Michigan, though. I think Michigan could... could, It's Georgia or Michigan. I don't think the other two teams. Uh, Georgia beat Ohio State. Michigan can beat Ohio State. And... You know, TCU had close games. They got in, but, you know, with the loss, and then they had a close game before, Georgia or Michigan?
1: All right, you got Georgia over Michigan in the title game? If you got them both advancing, Georgia-Michigan championship game, they blew Michigan out last year in the semifinals. Would they do it again in the finals, in the championship this year? No,
2: because I think Michigan – well, you know what, actually – I would take Georgia because that Michigan run game, uh, it's, it's a matchup that, that leads in Georgia favor because Georgia offensively can, you know, they can, they can go out and, uh, and score. But that Georgia defense, for them to recover after losing all those guys, that's crazy. So I would take Georgia again.
1: All right. Uh, good to catch up. Hope you're well. Happy holidays to you, and I'll talk to you sometime soon. Thanks.
2: Alright, have holidays. Peace
1: out. Alright, I'll finish up the show with just some other things from the weekend uh, when we come back right after these words from a few of our sponsors. Maryland has led 2-1 to one, and that is it. Young. Slams on the brakes. Now drives by Ziegler. Floater is no good. Rebound Tennessee and key is fouled. All right, let's finish up the show with just a few things from the weekend, uh, including what I just came into this segment with, and that was Maryland losing to Tennessee in Brooklyn uh, late yesterday afternoon. 56-53 to 53 was the final uh, if you didn't watch the game, you probably thought, wow, Maryland, you know, tough game against the number 7 team in the country. Lost by three, low-scoring game. Uh, no, there was a lot to this game, including a first half in which, if you were watching as I was, you didn't think there was much of a chance that Maryland could make it interesting in the second half. They were down by 21 in the first half, 17 at halftime. They shot three for 24, from the field in the first half. They made three shots in a 20 minute college basketball top 15 matchup from the field. This was not an, a fifth grade CYO game. They made three field goals in the entire half. Only one two-pointer. They were two for 16 on threes. They also turned it over 10 times and allowed 13 offensive rebounds. Kevin Willard was on the radio show with me on Friday and said, offensive rebounding is a huge key in this game. Well, he gave up 13 in the first half and 21 for the game. Yeah, Tennessee's a grown man team. A lot of seniors, a lot of big size. They held Kansas to 50. They beat Kansas 64 to 50 earlier this year. I mean, this is a good team, really good team, well-coached by Rick Barnes. But at halftime, I just wanted to see what Maryland would do in the second half. I wanted to see, you know, kind of fight or flight. And there was a hell of a lot of fight. It was impressive what they did in the second half. Did they muddy up the game? Well, Tennessee did the same thing. It wasn't a pretty game to watch. But there was intensity on defense. Maryland really gets after you defensively. This is what Willard emphasizes. Look, the last coach did too. You know, there's more full-court pressure with this group than there ever was with the last group. But this is a team that will get after you defensively. And I thought, first and foremost, Maryland got back into this game with its defense. And then secondly, they got to the free-throw line. Thirdly, they made some shots finally. Not a lot of them. You know, it's not like they made a lot of shots. They were 2-for-24 behind the arc. So you take the 2-for-24 on three-pointers, combine that with 21 offensive rebounds allowed, that's the story of the game. And if you saw that and you said that's what the numbers are going to be, you would have thought they lost by 20. They lost by three. They had the ball down 55-53 with a chance to either win it or tie it. Um, with, you know, about 15 seconds left. And then they had another chance at the end for a three-pointer to tie it to force overtime. There was a key stretch in the game in the second half that pissed me off. Maryland was down by four, 45-41, six minutes or so left. And they had the ball. And I'm telling you, the crowd was into it. I, I mentioned before, Maryland's got so many alum. In the New York, New Jersey, you know, Connecticut area, um, that they always draw well up in New York. Whether it's at MSG or Barclays, they've always played up there over the years and always drawn well. My youngest son, who li- who lives in New York, was at the game. He said it was an incredible Maryland crowd. You could hear it as they made the run in the second half. Place was electric. You the announcers were talking about the incredible Maryland turnout and how loud the crowd was. Well, they had the ball 45-41 down. Jameer Young, who they can't be good without. He is so crucial to what they're doing. Finding Jameer Young in the transfer portal. He's a Dematha kid, but had played at Charlotte. You know, Kevin Willard, I asked him, I said, is, is he what you thought he was going to be? And he said, I didn't think he'd be this good this quickly. Jameer Young is really the catalyst for them right now. He handles the ball. They don't have really anybody else that can play, you know, point guard and handle the ball as much as he does. He scores. He let him in scoring with 17, had eight assists as well, plays really good defense, had two block shots in the game yesterday. But uh 45 41, six and a half to go. He gets bumped at half court, fouled, bumped, pushed over the half court line. They called over and back. They called a half court violation. It was easily a foul. Now, this was a physical game. They were letting people get away with murder, but they were also calling a lot of fouls because there were a lot of free throws shot in the second half. But that was an obvious foul that you have to call because it's one thing if you get bumped in the front court and you maintain the dribble and there's not a real advantage gained. But here the advantage gained was possession of the basketball because of the turnover. you got to call that foul. And what happened there was Maryland had all the momentum in the world. Crowd was into it. They had Tennessee reeling. They had the lead down to four. They get called for that violation, which should have been a foul and free throws. And instead, on the other end, Tennessee hits a three and the lead's back to seven. Now, Maryland, you know, again, had the ball down two at the end. They got it to 51-49 with three and a half minutes to go. But you don't know that, you know, without that call there, if Maryland's momentum continues and maybe they take the lead and they they, they pull away. Uh, but I, I hated that missed call. That was a terrible missed call in the game. Um, anyway, um, really, really encouraging effort. And I'm not for moral victories, but it's December 11th yesterday. Maryland's playing a really good schedule. They get UCLA Wednesday night at home. There's still tickets. Go to umterps.com. Um, There's still some seats remaining for UCLA in the building Wednesday night at Xfinity Center. But, you know, they've had this, you know, incredible start to the season, beating Illinois in their first Big Ten game, losing a tight one at Wisconsin that was winnable, was winnable. And then, you know, in the first half, getting embarrassed – and then coming back with, you know, incredible fight and making it a game and having a chance. I did not and have not read anything that Kevin Willard has said. I was tied up with a lot of football, you know, yesterday afternoon, last night, this morning. I watched the game, um, but I would assume that the first half and really in many ways just not being strong enough. They got punked a little bit in the first half. You know, they got they got the ball taken from them. They turned it over. They got rattled. They got absolutely annihilated on the glass. They could not knock down shots. The only thing I said at halftime to a buddy of mine, um, I just said, look, this is probably over at this point. But they had a lot of looks. You know, they got a lot of open threes. And they just didn't knock him down. And they got those open threes with some of their good shooters. Like, Dante Scott has rarely had a game like he had uh, last night. Now, he came back in the second half and played a little bit better in the second half. In the first half, he he was 0 for 4 from the floor, 0 for 4 from 3. Three turnovers and two quick fouls in the game. Reese got in foul trouble. I thought Reese actually showed some real fight in the second half. Had some big-time rebounds. Had a steal that was big. Finished with a couple of buckets that were big. Um, I actually really loved what I saw from Reese after he really looked awkward and out of it in the first half, as they all did. But I, I the one thing I said at halftime to, to a friend of mine, I go, I don't think they're not going to win this game. But man, this game could be a lot different had they knocked down some of those threes. These were not contested threes. These were, you know, ball moving pretty well, finding the open man. Couple of kickouts after penetration, and they just couldn't get one to go. I mean, Hakeem Hart got one to go. That was it. Uh, Scott, I think. I think. Uh, I forget if Young made his in the first half or second half. But Scott Young and Hart were a combined from the three-point line two for 19. You throw Donald Carey in there, who was supposed to be their shooter, they were two for 23. I mean, they were two for 24 for the game. Who? I'm trying to think of who shot the uh, other three. It may have been Martinez. Um, no, it was Bachelor, the freshman, uh, missed one. That's right. He missed one early, I think, in the second half. Anyway, Maryland loses 56-53. That's not a bad loss. Maryland will drop in the rankings, certainly. They're not going to drop out of the rankings. They lose to Wisconsin, who, who went on the road last night and beat Iowa, and they lose to the number seven team in the country um, by three, You know, a team that, that held Kansas to 50. I mean, the Kansas game, You know, interestingly, was s- somewhat similar in that Kansas was like, I think, four for 21 from the three-point line. Um, and shot like 32 percent from the field uh and in that game there were like 16 I think I looked at it early, uh, last week there were like 16 offensive rebounds that Tennessee had against Kansas so Kansas only got 50 against Tennessee uh but you know that, t- Tennessee's been awesome so far they lost game early in the year to Colorado I don't you know I don't know how they lost to Colorado Colorado is like a 500 team, um, but everybody else they've pretty much destroyed uh, until yesterday when they were life and death with the Terps at the end. A um, couple of other things. How about Alex Ovechkin uh, getting another empty netter? He's got three empty netters in the last um, week because he had two of them against the Flyers. Uh, so Ovechkin's at 797 and counting, four away from tying Gordie Howell. Um, three away from 800. Uh, the Caps also beat Winnipeg five to two. They've won four in a row. They were really r- struggling, and and um, now they've they've gotten it back with four wins in a row, and they're climbing the standings a little bit, not a lot. I mean, they are they're still way behind New Jersey, who's played well. Pittsburgh's been playing well. Um, also, I wanted to mention um, the Wizards are really playing poorly uh, right now. No Beal. They played the Clippers on Saturday on Friday night. Uh, lost to the Clippers, one fourteen to one o seven. It was the return of John Wall. He started in the game. Uh, was greeted very uh, nicely, um, uh, and he at one point um, I, I think screamed to the fans, "Still my city!" At some point, he scored thirteen points um, in the game, uh, but a nice ovation uh, for wall. He said afterwards, something I've been waiting for, for four years. First time I got traded, I came back with Houston. It was COVID. So the fans couldn't be there. Then last year I wasn't playing. I'm glad I got the opportunity to appreciate it and be here and get the love that I think I deserved. I feel like I got my flowers is what he said. Uh, overall though, um, you know, uh, the wizards just are, I mean, they are reeling right now. No Bradley Beal still, I mean, Porzingis continues to put up big numbers. I'll tell you, the guy that's just so damn impressive night in and night out is Kyle Kuzma. I mean, I think they've got a star in Kuzma, Um, but they've lost a bunch of games. Uh, They can't get stops uh, when they need them. Um, They tend to turn the ball over at inopportune times, which is always and has been a problem for them uh, for a while. Uh, and uh, in some games, not the other night, you know, free throw shooting ends up being a problem. But all of a sudden they've gone from I think they were 11-10 to now 11-16. They've lost six games in a row, Uh, and they get Brooklyn tonight at home. So, yeah, I probably uh, jinxed them when I said I see a team. I think it was after they beat the Timberwolves, um, or maybe it was after they beat the Heat, even though Jimmy uh, Butler wasn't playing in that game. I thought, I thought you know, stay healthy. Porzingis plays all these games. They're going to have a chance to be a top-six team in the East, avoid kind of the play-in. Um, but they haven't been healthy, uh, and that's always been their issue. It hasn't been Porzingis, uh, but it's been um, Bradley Beal. Uh, congrats to Caleb Williams, uh, the first from the DMV to ever win the Heisman Trophy started as a ninth grader at Gonzaga. Uh, I had Randy Trivers, the head coach of Gonzaga, on the radio show this morning. Um, It was short because he was kind of on a train and had a bad phone connection, but um, he's done such a good job there. And, you know, he had Caleb for all four years at Gonzaga. Look, a, a lot of us that follow high school sports in the area, you know, have seen Caleb play or saw Caleb play long before he went to Oklahoma. Um, I saw him play once in like a half of another game and, you know, I was always hoping that maybe, just maybe he'd go to Maryland. I mean, he always had Maryland on the list and he, you know, loved, loved the DMV, but you know, he went to Oklahoma and now was at USC with Lincoln Riley. Uh, but it did come down to Oklahoma and Maryland. I don't think we ever really thought we had, um, a legitimate shot at him. I don't think we did. Uh... Also, how about the sad story right now? And, you know, as of the recording of this podcast, I don't have anything else on it other than to say that Mississippi State Coach Mike Leach is in critical condition um, in a Mississippi uh, hospital on something that they're still just calling a personal health issue um, that occurred at home. Uh, now apparently he had pneumonia at one point during the season, but continued to coach. But Leach, who has been really one of the incredible characters in college sports over the last 15 years, 20 years at this point, um, he's only 61 years old and, you know, he's won basically everywhere he's gone, Texas Tech, Washington state, um, you know, uh, there's just a lot of prayers that I saw up on Twitter very early this morning for his health and they're coming from all sorts of coaches, uh, in contemporaries. So they must know something and know that it's, you know, very, very, um, serious. And again, the statement this morning is that he is in critical condition in a Mississippi hospital, but again, they're not saying, um, with what or, uh, for what, uh, what else did I have? I think that's it. Um, yeah, uh, tomorrow, Tommy. Uh, Wednesday, hopefully, Cooley. No film breakdown, obviously, this week, but a lot to discuss as we get ready for the biggest game of the year, Sunday night against the Giants, um, a game that, you know, is it's not must-win, but it's kind of must. You know, if you lose to the Giants, you're then probably – going to have to beat them out with a 10-6-1 record, which means winning out. Uh, so Sunday night really will likely determine one of the remaining wild card berths in the NFC. Okay, that's it for the day. Oh, I did have one other thing. Congratulations to the Maryland women. They beat UConn. They're on a roll. Brenda Freeze got her 600th win the other night against Purdue on a shot at the buzzer. They beat Uh, Yukon 85 to 78. So, Brenda, that's your first win of the next 600. And yes, I did watch the World Cup a little bit here and there from over the weekend. Um, I watched a lot of the England France game on Saturday. I did watch a lot of that. And Harry Kane missing that penalty kick. My god, he missed it by like a mile. Um, So it's France and Morocco, which was a big upset winner over Portugal. And then it's Argentina and Croatia who upset Brazil. So I think Argentina and France are both favorites to advance to the World Cup final. The games are on Wednesday, I think, um, at 2 o'clock, 10 a.m. and 2 o'clock, something like that, whatever it is. Uh, And Argentina and France were among those heavy favorites before the tournament started. So, uh, yeah, the, the final, if you're wondering, is Sunday morning at 10 a.m. All right, uh, that's it for the show. Today, back tomorrow with Tommy.